0: So many people have been wondering like why would I end my podcast right before Endgame comes out. It's basically like that scene from Infinity War.
1: Why would you do that? We're in the Endgame now.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of my new podcast. Stay watching. I'm your host, Larry McAllister II. This new endeavor is going to be a little bit different than what I had started on LM2 Talks. Basically, we're going to take a lot of the same idea, talking about entertainment and what's going on in the world, but we're going to add in talking to different guests. And so those guests are going to be hopefully some other creative, some other creative minded people who are also kind of examining pop culture in a way that is interesting and exciting, and I'm going to try to get people who are really, really into the different topics that I'm talking about each week. And so to start things off, because the biggest movie of all time, and I'm not being hyperbolic, it just opened to the tune of $1.2 billion worldwide, Uh, we're going to be talking about Avengers Endgame in this first episode. Even though this is going to be a spoiler-free episode, I would suggest if you have not fully caught up on the MCU up until this point, uh, you may want to take a break and come back to this episode a little bit later. We will be talking about what has happened in the 21 films leading up to Endgame. For those of you who might be unfamiliar or living under the rock, The MCU has kind of taken movies by storm over the last eleven years, starting with Iron Man in 2008 and ending now in 2019 with Avengers Endgame. And while there are still movies yet to come, I thought it was a good time to really talk about the end of the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So strap in. I have a good conversation with a friend of mine, Mike Perez, uh, who will be—you'll hear him introduce himself soon. So. Tune in, listen to our conversation, and let me know what you think. Because the audio setup on the conversation is a little bit different, you might hear some changes in the audio. I hope it's not too distracting. Hopefully you won't even notice. All right. All right, so I'm here with Mike Perez. He's a good friend and a designer. Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So
1: I went to Rutgers and knew that's how I know you. It was through Rutgers. Um, I was a Scarlet Knight here. That's how we kind of got to meet each other. And then you were my boss at one point when I was a designer here. Kind of a designer now. Kind of reaching out, doing some other things. Some woodworking, some pretty much woodworking (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i don't i really have a lot going on just marvel
0: for the past however long it's been (laughs) (laughs) marvel has been pretty much an institution in our lives that's for sure so you know I, i think it's really important when we're looking at something like endgame to think about like where are we coming at this from so I know for me, I grew up kind of steeped in Marvel. My uncle was a huge comic book fan. The guy literally has every issue of The Incredible Hulk ever put out. He's got first appearances of characters like the Silver Surfer and, and other folks, and so... You know, he was always a really big influence on me in terms of what I was reading. My dad was a big Spider-Man fan, so we had always been into the the cartoons and comics there. Uh, But what about you? Like, how did you get into comics? You know, what were some of those first Marvel comics that you were looking at? So I got into Marvel because
1: when I was a kid, um, I wasn't the best reader, and my parents pretty much wanted me. give me anything that I wanted as long as I was reading. It didn't matter what it was, as long as I was reading something. And my dad thought, well, he's kind of like into this whole, this art stuff that he does back when I was a kid. So he was like, well, let's try out comic books. And it started out as me being like, oh, that guy, Captain America looks cool. I'm curious about him. I'm curious about his look right now. And then I kind of got more into the backstory of the characters and learning more about who they are, where they come from, and then me reading storylines and all that kind of stuff, and it was able to really relate to some characters like Spider-Man or
0: even Captain America, and that's pretty much how I got into it. So... uh, I have to ask, because you're a little bit younger than me. Um, not that I'm that old. Uh, but, you know, for you, when you were growing up, what did... You, so you said you were like, Captain America looks interesting. What version of Captain America were you first introduced to? The... I wouldn't say it's someone that we all know, but it's like the... Kind of
1: the original one where he's got like the pirate boots and the, the big red gloves with the kind of underwear on the outside look... Um, Scales, you know, um, the wings flying, the physical wings on the helmet flying off. Um, So it it was that one. And then it's changed a lot ever
0: since then, his look. I had, to, I had to check because uh, when I was growing up, at a certain point, um, Marvel did this really weird Heroes Reborn thing, and uh, a bunch of people that had left Marvel Comics to go found Image Comics came back to Marvel to uh, work on some of their superhero titles. So at the time, uh, Rob Liefeld came back to do some work on Captain America, and it was... Some of the worst art I have ever seen. (laughs) Like, Rob Liefeld, great, great guy, you know, helped, you know, create Deadpool for us and everything like that. Like, did some cool stuff, but, like, his cap was really, really weird looking. So, I guess for you, you know, talk to me a little bit about what was it about Captain America that kept you engaged with the character? Because, you know... You know from from talking to you in the past and and of course listeners don't really know you but but i talked to you quite a bit about this like i know captain america is like your favorite character so what what is it about him that kind of well when i first
1: got into it it was more about his looks he was got this cool red white and blue america kind of look going on um but i recently thought about this and how I can really relate to him in a way which people are like, how the hell do you relate to Captain America? He's Captain America. He was this kid who this little kid who no one gave a chance to. No one ever believed in him and thought he could do the great things that he said he can do. And people finally gave him a chance to, and he was able to show them how great he actually was. So, I mean, I feel like we all kind of have that in us where we just need that chance. To show people our great potential that we have, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know, it's funny because I think characters like Spider-Man really echo that, where it's like you know, a lot of us can kind of see ourselves in those characters because you know, maybe maybe we weren't the best at different things that other people expected of us, but. You know, we have this great potential in us. We all have, you know, in, in a sense, our own great power and, and responsibility to use that power. And, you know, it can be really inspiring in that way. And I think that's why I always kind of gravitated towards that character myself. Um, so, you know, for you, looking at the MCU, what what do you feel like the most, most engaging storyline to follow throughout the MCU has been for you? Well, there's a lot of, I mean
1: there's, I mean, I'm biased to Captain America because he's my favorite, so I'm gonna push that to the side. I kind of want to say Thor. Thor and Hulk have kind of had their their ups and downs, especially Thor, where he was starting out, he was Almighty Thor, son of Odin, and he kind of got that stripped away from him, sent down to Earth. He was at his lowest point then, and then he gets his powers back, and then he gets to his lowest point again when he gets sent off to another planet and he has to fight Hulk. Um, And then he kind of just... He's evolved a lot over Mm -hmm. the past 11 years. I mean, him and Iron Man has changed a lot too, where he's kind of this pompous, rich guy and at first you're kind of like, "Oh, I'm not sure. He's kind of an asshole, but... I guess people think that because he's rich, not saying that all rich people are like that, but it kind of fits the mold and going through the comics,
0: that's how it was in the comics, too. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a really, really good point. I mean, for me, you know, partially because the MCU really all started with Iron Man, I think that's a big part that... That's kind of kept me invested, kept me going. So, you know, like you said, you have that kind of rich guy and he's he's working through these things. But, like, he kind of maintains that that veneer of I'm kind of a douche. And, yeah. you know, I, but I'm the smartest douche in the room. And and I'm okay with being a douche. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we see that, we follow that character, but they kind of keep giving him these moments that make us really question that, and it's really in the first Avengers movie where, you know, he kind of has that first experience with, hey, maybe there's a problem that I'm not necessarily equipped to solve, and, you know, kind of being faced with his own mortality, you know, a very kind of underrated film within the MCU, I I feel like, is is Iron Man 3, where it it really is a lot about him kind of dealing with that near-death experience of, you know, hey, there are outer world beings that we're facing now. Yeah. And I was out in space with a nuke, (laughs) you know, how did I get through this thing and and how do we we get through this? You know, and and that kind of leading into what we see in Avengers Age Age of Ultron where he wants to create this suit of armor around the world. And, you know, it's, it's that idea that even though his character is changing, even though his outlook is changing, that kind of arrogance is still there to think that hey, I can, I can do this, you know, I can actually protect everything despite what's going on is really interesting. And I'm not going to get into what they do with him in Endgame right now. We're going to have a spoiler cast all for that. But, you know, I think that turn and, you know, kind of what happens with Ultron kind of helps lead to where his character starts to go with things like Civil War where he's just like alright I messed up we need to be held accountable Mm -hmm. we can't be trusted to do this you know and then Infinity War where he's just like crap there's almost too much red tape so maybe we do have to kind of take this back on ourselves and then where does that lead us in Endgame and so like I said we'll talk about that later but you know Iron Man, as, as much as I love the Hulk and, you know, I'm, I've am i really loved what they've done with Captain America, like Winter Soldier and Civil War, I think for me, are, are still like two Absolutely. of the absolute strongest movies in the MCU. You know, I, I think like I've, I've kind of felt myself most interested in seeing where they take Tony Stark. And, and again, I think a lot of that is because, you know... Growing up traditionally, Iron Man was kind of a laughable character. He's kind of like, sure, he's he's cool. He's got this suit of armor, but he was never kind of the most. He was never the most interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really. I wasn't really drawn to Iron Man at all as a kid. I mean, there was Thor and Spider Man that I thought were pretty cool too as a kid, but Iron Man was like, I was like, oh, there's this guy. He's in like. He doesn't really have any powers. And when you think of, as a kid, when you think of a superhero, you think you can't be a superhero unless you have a power. But now that's changed over time where you can kind of create your own powers and use whatever
0: knowledge you have is your power. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, just to step outside, I know you're not a DC guy, but, like, you know, that is one of the good things about a character like Batman. It's just, like, he doesn't necessarily have power. I mean, money is his power, as, you know, people often joke, but, like, it really is about, like, kind of using your mind and, and, you know, again, bring it back to Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man is that same kind of way, even though he has, you know, arachnid powers and everything Mm like that. Like, that's cool, but more often than not what we're really drawn to is the way that he's using his brain to solve problems you know and so it's like yes he's aided by the fact that he has you know superhuman strength or a spider sense or you know agility but none of that in the uh in the (laughs) Toby McGuire version can actually form his own webs through his, yeah. his, his, his body. <laughs> Which is gross. And I'm glad that's not there anymore but it's like none of that matters if he doesn't have the brain power to really think through you know what he's facing uh, and can figure out a way to really kind of deal with those villains and so I think one of the, the greatest things about the MCU just like thinking about it is the way they kind of took these characters who have a very different skill set and, and kind of use them to tell that story and really humanize them. I, I think that's one of the greatest things about the MCU is just like, you know, it's very easy to go the DC route and be like, we have these pa- this pantheon of characters who are essentially gods. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking about, like, humans. Like, you know, like, sure, Captain America is strong, but, like, how much stronger than a normal person is he, really?
1: Yeah. And I think saying how the Marvel characters and the MCU are very relatable is kind of why I kind of stuck to Marvel as a kid was because, I mean, looking at Fantastic Four, it's just this functional family, like all that kind of stuff. And they live in this real world in New York City and these towns and states that we actually know of. And that's kind of why I really was drawn to that as a kid versus getting into DC in this made up town where everybody has these not everybody but these people have these powers where like you said they are treated like gods and you know that's not really that relatable as you know to a kid I mean it's cool like great yeah they have all these powers let's give Superman
0: every single power possible literally every power (laughs) yeah but yeah, I mean, you know, it's what's funny about that is there's actually... I forget who said it. I should have done my research on this, but I didn't know this was going to come up. There is a writer for Superman who essentially said, like, the only powers Superman doesn't have are the ones he hasn't tried yet or, like, hasn't <laughs> thought of yet. And it's just like, you know, like, I think that's the... Again, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the Marvel characters have always been these fallible people who have gaps And have flaws. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, how do we, you know, that's why you get 11 years of films out of these characters, you know, because they're not perfect. I mean, like, you know, again, love Batman, but the reason why Batman stops and starts so much is because, like, people kind of lose sight of how to make him interesting because... You know, yes, he has issues. Not going to pretend like Batman doesn't have issues and not that people haven't addressed those issues and, and shown them, but he still feels too superhuman. He still feels like not human enough. Like he doesn't have the right emotional components to, you know, keep people coming back. Like most people who love Batman, love Batman because he's cool And the things that he does and the gadgets that he has and not necessarily, like, who he is as a person. And I know someone's going to write in and say they completely disagree with that. But, you know, again, as a lifelong Batman fan, I think there is some really good storytelling out there that does frame him in a much more human light. Um, But I think a lot of that is done in response to the fact that his character has so often been portrayed as almost non-human, non-feeling. Um, so kind of getting getting into the endgame of it all. So, you know, again, we're still still not spoiling anything I'm right now. I'm gonna say it yet. I'm gonna say it yet. But like just what was your overall reaction to endgame and uh, like and you know, just thinking about it in the context of the overall MCU so far. It's I It's every
1: nerd's fantasy, this movie. (laughs) Um, Like I said to you before, there was, like, multiple times where it was just nerdgasm. (laughs) Um, It's it's something that's never been done in, I don't think, film before. Have this 11-year buildup to this one moment where it, it all comes down to that. I don't think any other franchise has lasted 11 years in film. It's been... Rebooted time and time again like James Bond has been done so many times but it hasn't been continuous storyline where it's all led up to this and there's been inserting certain characters here that you've always wanted to see come to film and come to life and
0: it's just a magical thing yeah yeah I mean James Bond is a really good example of that because it's just like alright sure the latest Craig films are a part of definitely a part of the same line but like it's hard to tell if all of the other stories before that had just been one shots or if they're related or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so weird. We were, we were talking before about, um, you know, the first, the first MCU film that I saw Iron Man, which I mean, it's the first MCU film we pretty much all saw, but like I saw it in this, I saw Endgame in the same theater that I saw Iron Man in and, you know, just thinking about poetic. Yeah. It's like, it's the perfect ending to it because it's like, you know, that moment after the credits of iron man, when Nick Fury shows up and he wants to talk to him about something and the Avengers initiative and, you know, I know a lot of people have been talking about the idea of Iron Man being this kind of standalone film and whether or not the thought was always that we would kind of make it to this point or if that was kind of added, you know, towards the end of that film. And I think it was more of a test to see if it kind of survived and how it took to viewers. Ex- exactly. And, you know, and thinking about that, thinking about Iron Man, thinking about, you know, really Iron Man 2. Because like, I think... I I could be wrong about the timing of this, but I'm pretty sure we had two Iron Man films really before anything else came out. Because I think the Incredible Hulk, um, the Hulk came out the same same, summer that the same summer as Iron Man Two, yeah, or Iron Man or Iron 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 Man One. Okay, it did. Okay, that's what I was trying to figure out because like I remember there's a scene in that where Tony Stark appears and he talks to Thunderbolt Ross um, Mm -hmm. about. the Avengers initiative. Yeah, but we get, we get two Iron Man movies before the first Avengers movie even comes out. Yeah. So two Iron Man movies, you know, and you know, two Iron Man's, the Incredible Hulk, which they were still trying to figure out the Hulk. And, you know, I know we were talking about like, uh, the storylines that we really care about before, but I I think one of the ones that's been really interesting is what they've been able to do with the Hulk. Um, in, in a sense, saving that character from what they did with him in the Incredible Hulk. Like, not that I hate that film, but, like, when you look back at it in the context of the greater MCU, it's just, like, it, it feels like it has a lot of shortcomings, you right.
1: know? I mean, technology wasn't at a point where it is now, where mm-hmm. now, I mean, at the time when they made that Hulk movie, there wasn't really um motion capture for, for facial motion capture. But now, like, Mark Ruffalo, when he does the Hulk, he puts all these dots on his face and he has these... Ed thing that straps on and cameras pointing at him to capture everything that he's doing, which they didn't have back then. So that's changed everything.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, like, you know, it's it's the way that they're using technology differently, dif- differently, but also the way that the character is being written. Like, I mean, I just feel like they took it in such a different direction once they... Uh, once they got ruffalo on board once they decided hey we're going to do the avengers the hulk is going to be a major part of this but banner is also going to be a major part of this like and their interplay how those two characters um are actually competing with one another for that same body and i think that you know again not going to spoil anything for endgame but like I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about his character, especially in the last three films that he's appeared in. You know, with Thor, Ragnarok, uh, Avengers: Infinity War, and Endgame, really kind of looking at the Hulk and and what that character is. And you know, again, a lot of that starts with that first Avengers film. You know, re, resetting the Hulk as this character with Banner saying, you know, the, the secret is I'm always angry and like all of that right. and what that leads to and, and how that's kind of used in a sense against him uh, in Age of Ultron and how that leads to what eventually happens with him in Ragnarok and just kind of following that character and how he's used, you know, as well as his relationship with characters like, you know, Tony Stark or, or Black Widow, which, you know, I know some people are kind of weird on that relationship, <laughs> but I, I actually think there's, there's something really effective and interesting about it. Um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on the Hulk? Um,
1: not anything, like, really in-depth. You kind of pretty much said it all. Like, the Hulk is, (laughs) he's come a long way. They've, I think they found a place where they can actually have fun with the character, where, when they made that first Hulk movie in the MCU, it was very serious and trying to figure out, like, and showing everyone, like, this is the Hulk. He's angry. Um, Bruce Banner is a scientist who's kind of trying to keep him under wraps and make sure he doesn't get into the hands of someone that's not supposed to be, but now it's just like let's have fun with it, add some humor to it, and I think they found
0: the perfect balance with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Balance. I, I... Balance, which just made me think of Thanos. Like, <laughs> you know, what's 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 really interesting, you know, in thinking about like kind of the whole of the MCU, and and you know, this conversation really popped up when when Black Panther came out, where you know, for the longest time, the MCU didn't necessarily have the best villains. Um, you know, right. you know, and there's so many like kind of select cases where the villains were really good. Um, you know, and even in films that I really enjoy like I really really love Winter Soldier but like kind of putting my finger on like this villain you know or this antagonist really kind of made it all work is is a little bit harder to do because it's more like well this villainous organization is is what really did it yeah like it wasn't like there's a central villain there's not a single person who is the
1: villain it's well you don't know who because they're all in hiding and they're all Secret spies.
0: Yeah, and so you know, with with Black Panther, we get Killmonger, and so like you know, that was a few months before Infinity War, and it's like he was such a compelling character, and part of the reason why I don't always like to say villain, where it's like uh, maybe antagonist, because it's like while he may do villainous things, it's like he's got a point of view that is understandable and somewhat relatable, even if you don't agree with his actions. But then to kind of follow that character up almost immediately with Thanos, who, you know, again, Thanos is, he's he's a villain, but he's also that antagonist because there is a logic to what he's doing. Well, even if you go back farther to Ragnarok with Hela, yeah. there is,
1: I mean, she's, she's what? She's the daughter of Odin, mm-hmm. right? So she has a reason. I mean, I think they've kind of reinvented Like, their formula for villains now, because before Mm -hmm. it was just with Red Skull, it's like, I kind of want to take over everything and create these weapons of mass destruction and kind of just be a bad guy, but there was no reason behind it as to why, besides that's their character in the comics. Mm -hmm. Where now they've kind of taken these characters like Killmonger, Hela, and Thanos, and they've really given them this backstory... In history, where you can really connect with them on kind of an emotional level as mm-hmm. to their real feelings as to why they kind of want to take over and defeat
0: these other heroes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's something that's really interesting, considering like almost all of that happened in kind of this this last section, this last something like phase the last campaign. like two years. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, and I and I think that's what's really interesting. Like when thinking about it, it's like not to say that. The MCU wasn't really interesting when it started, but it's like, when I look at the, you know, the first phase of films compared to this last phase of films, I'm just like, I I actually think this last phase, like, might have been a stronger group, you know? But we needed that first phase of films to, like, kind of establish everything. lay that foundation that we needed. Yeah, but it's like, even, you know, like, I like you know this this might be contentious I like the first Avenger it is one of the oh I like it too yeah it's one of the first Marvel movies that I actually bought on Blu-ray um, mm-hmm. but it's like I look back on it and it's just like this film is nothing compared to Winter Soldier it's nothing compared no. to you know Civil War you know and it's like you know it's not that it is bad it's just like it hasn't fully figured out the character or the tone or the world uh, and how to make those things truly compelling. They figured out how to make the superhero interesting on screen, but not necessarily the other components that, like, make the films great. And I feel like that's what we've really started to get recently. And and there are, there are hiccups. Um, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday, so I'm interested to hear. Your, I'm just going to throw this over to you real okay. quick. I'm going to put you on the spot on this one. <laughs> What are your thoughts on Captain Marvel? Ooh, I've got a lot of thoughts on Captain (laughs) Marvel. (laughs)
1: Um, I've never read a Captain Marvel comic before, so I don't really know what her overall feel is in the comics. But in the movie, I didn't really like her. And I don't think... I didn't like the character. I didn't like the way she was portrayed. It could have been the actor that they chose to play her, but I felt like she... Was just talking down to everyone because she, her origin was that she was human, so she knows what it takes to kind of come into a fight, especially being in the air force. But now, since she has these super Kree powers, she kind of just comes in and she's just like, Oh, yeah, I'm just gonna try and do this, and you know, and everyone, people would be like, Well, it's not that easy, like. It's not as easy as just saying you're going to do it and then doing it, you need to create a plan and, you know, work on it. But I also think that my girlfriend was talking to me about this, how she's kind of like Tony Stark in a way with how she talks to the other characters, at least early on Tony Stark where he was this kind of pompous asshole. And I'm not saying that she's a pompous asshole, but how Tony Stark would talk down to people because he thought he was so much smarter than them. And she's kind of doing that now because, especially in her movie, because she was from space and in the 90s, no one had any kind of idea of what was going on in space with superhuman people, aliens, whatever you want to call them. So she was kind of talking to them like, oh, you guys have no idea? Like, where you been? Like stuck on, I don't know what they use the code for earth is, <laughs> <laughs> but stuck on earth. And she kind of talked down to them in a way that was kind of off putting for me. And I think we needed that for her to have this defeat, to have her be defeated by something in order for us to be able to connect with her. And I think that Marvel kind of created her in a time where they realized. Okay, we need to have these strong female characters. There's no reason why we shouldn't have them. They're in the comics, so let's put them on screen. And we need this person who could potentially come back and defeat Thanos. So let's just give her as much power as we possibly can, because we want that strong female character, and then we also want that hope that someone's going to come back from outer space and just swoop in and clean up what the Avengers couldn't do and I I think that it was kind of I think there could have been some more planning behind her backstory and the way her character is portrayed I don't know what they're going to do potentially do in the future with that character if she eventually is going to have a defeat where we do kind of get to bond with her like Thor had and many a times Thor had (laughs) um but I, I just hope that they kind of turn her around and give her maybe some humor. I know every character can't have humor,
0: but I think that there's some work to be done on that character. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. I mean, my my biggest thing leaving the film was, and you know, I'm. I'm one of those people... I know Brie Larson is a great actress. I mean, you know, not that everybody who wins an Academy Award is a a great actress, but she is a great (laughs) actress. And, you know, I just felt like watching that film, the material that she was given, the written material that she was given, and the direction that she was given was really what underserved that character. Um, You know, kind of to that point of... Rather than allowing us to, in a sense, hear from that character directly the challenges that they faced or to, you know, kind of learn about, um, you know, kind of those defeats. Uh, We're shown a couple of flashbacks and we're just supposed to infer that, you know, as a woman, she had been kind of, you know, cast aside and, and beaten down, but always got back up rather than, you know, kind of allowing us to experience that with the character. Um, and, I, and I think that really speaks to a lot of what you're talking about. And so, you know, even within the context of, of where we're at in the films, it's almost like needing more time with that character, like mm-hmm. you said, yeah, and just definitely. needing to watch them, them kind of experience, you know, a, a true loss. Because in the context of... Her own film, other than memories, she didn't lose anything or anyone. Right. Everybody that she cares about has made it through the experiences that they were in. Um, you know, and and the the factor that calls her back to Earth is the loss of Nick Fury, but that's the only loss that we've experienced, and we've we've only really had that one moment with, and it wasn't her being defeated. It wasn't her powers not being enough. It wasn't any of those things that we've seen from those other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? And so it's like, it, it is almost like she, she has that exact problem that we were talking about with some of those DC characters right now, where, you know, it's, we have introduced a God, right? How do we make that God human? And I think until, until they do that, her character is going to be somewhat of a hard sell uh, within the context of the MCU based on what they've been able to establish so far.
1: And I think part of me personally having a hard time following her might have been the way the movie was filmed. Like the film style, which is, I don't know if anyone hasn't seen it, but spoilers, like the beginning of it starts with with her like, as Captain Marvel, pretty much. And us not knowing anything previously, and there's these flashbacks throughout the whole movie, and it's kind of hard to follow for, for some people, instead of just starting with her as Carol Danvers, and then kind of moving forward from there. And I think they were trying to do something different with these superhero films that they've never done before, and I think in this case it didn't really work out that well. Unfortunately, I have I know some other people that feel the same exact way who are super into film, but I think that there may have been a better way that they could have handled that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess moving away from from some of those ideas, and you know, you know, we're we're gonna still record a spoiler cast, so. I'm thinking I want to kind of end it here in thinking about, you know, again, without spoiling anything that happened in Endgame. um, What are you hoping to see from the future phases of uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So knowing that the the Fox Disney merger has completed, you know, the X-Men, you know, while they might be five years off from appearing in the MCU, they're going to be available. The Fantastic Four are going to be available. What are, you know, either what are some storylines that you know from the comic books or or what are just some things that you would want to see? Now that everybody is home, finally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that it would be really nice to kind of eventually get the X-Men intertwined with the Avengers, because I know that that happens in a bunch of different ways, either in... Oh, they've fought before. Yes, they've... I mean, as in, like, Infinity War, any new hero that they find, they sometimes think of their villain and they kind of fight each other until they figure out, oh, we're on the same team. Um, Maybe get them involved in the Avengers, do kind of like a West Coast Avengers... Um, Or a new Avengers where they kind of involve like Wolverine, Beast, those kind of characters. Um, They could even get into House of M, which I have not read and have been meaning to for a very long time, (laughs) but I know that that kind of involves everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would really like them to get into Secret Wars Mm. or secret invasion where they kind of involve the scrolls. they like, can even I don't know if those are kind of the same thing I don't think they
0: are I think they're a little bit well they're a little bit different because Secret Wars was was that the 80s it was before I was born I was like when Spider-Man got his, um, black, suit. his black suit because the Beyonder um, had basically created this um, in, a, in a sense like a championship um, and the Earth Characters had to kind of fight mm-hmm. uh, for survival and to protect the Earth. So, um, yeah, I mean, that could definitely be interesting. Secret Invasion would be really cool, especially since, like... They've we, introduced the Skrulls
1: yeah. now, and I've heard many things about who Skrulls could potentially be who don't have powers and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I think they could do Fantastic Four where they involve... Spider-Man, because that happens in the comics where he's the fifth member of the Fantastic Four. Um, yeah,
0: I just, I want it all. I want, I just... Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different places that they can go. I, you know, I, I've kind of alluded to this before, but I guess I'm kind of like the dissenting opinion where I, I almost want to take a little bit of a break. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like, And we'll we'll get into this in the spoiler cast on Endgame, but I almost feel like, you know, after Spider-Man Far From Home, I want a little bit of time away from some of the characters that we've spent a long time with. Give you time to miss them. Give us time to miss them and also give them time to, in a sense, grow and have adventures without us Mm -hmm. so that when we come back to them, they're a little bit different um, and we can kind of jump on board with them. Um, I'm I'm also kind of in the mindset that I I want a few more kind of one-off scenarios, you know. And sure, like I think these can still build to a greater whole, but like, you know, yeah. Obviously, I want to see the Fantastic Four. Obviously, I want to see the X Men as handled by Marvel Studios because I think. Want that the, yellow Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, I keep hearing rumors about them working on, like, a Shang-Chi movie, you know, Master of Kung Fu. And I don't you know, know who that is. But, but, but <laughs> I mean, like, but that's the thing. It's, like, part of, part of what's been great about the MCU, in a way, is, like, they took the almost, like, the least popular right. Marvel characters. Because it's, like, while we might enjoy Captain America, Captain America hasn't been the most popular... For a long time. For for a long time. Iron Man, like we talked about before, it's been a joke. And so, like, they were able to take those characters and and make them interesting. Like, because we often forget when the MCU started, they didn't have access to the X-Men or Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the most popular superhero in the world. Right. Literally the most popular superhero in the world. They didn't have access to him. And somehow, they still made a film universe That we have been going to see for like until he came in, it was like what eighteen years at that point, or Mm -hmm. or seventeen years at that point before he finally showed up. Marvel was at a or not seventeen films or whatever it had been. Marvel was at a a point at that part where they
1: were not doing the best because Marvel's comics weren't that popular in general, so they kind of had to sell off these characters Mm -hmm. in order for them to survive. So they they had. I think they had already started, you know, with one X-Men movie and then sold it Mm -hmm. to uh, 20th Century Fox to kind of just keep that going and keep the money coming in for that. But with the toys for that, they... I forget what it was. There was like a tax on it or something where... They weren't getting the money they were supposed to be getting because or they were able to skip out on a tax because they Mm -hmm. could consider those characters mutants and they weren't humans. Yeah. And any kind of toy that is sold as a human there is kind of a certain tax on or something. So they're able to skip out on that, which is like a little (laughs) little fun fact. But then they had like the multiple Spider-Man movies where they did the same thing. Because Spider Man is such a beloved character. figure people are always going to want to watch these so we're going to sell this character, the film rights at least, to Sony Pictures and then they kind of held on to mm-hmm. these other characters like Iron Man and Captain America that I feel like they thought never would have been never would have worked wow. out on film. And I thought they never would have worked out on film until it happened and when I heard that Chris Evans was casted as Captain America, I was honestly kind of upset because I was like how can you have Chris Evans play Human Torch and then that's that's done at that point and then have him come and play Captain America they're two completely different characters yeah. like Johnny Storm is a very witty fun character and Captain America's very serious but now i honestly can't see anyone else play captain America besides chris evans
0: yeah yeah i mean like as i as, oh, man, like just thinking back on that like even outside of the whole fantastic four thing like chris evans was like a teen, you know like romantic comedy actor. Like, a heart, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like you know and it's like the other stuff that you see him in you're just like how is this guy gonna be like even you know even Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. It's like you don't necessarily see it until you see that first Iron Man, and you're like, "Oh, like they're the same person." It makes sense, right? But yeah, like I think that's partially why they
1: picked him because he had these—I don't know if he had like alcohol struggles mm-hmm. in real life, but in the comics, Iron Man is an alcoholic at one point, and I feel like they fit perfectly with each mm-hmm. other and. Robert Downey Jr pretty much just plays himself in all the Iron Man movies. Yeah, and he's and he's brilliant.
0: And that's that's one of the things like overall, like no matter where they go with these films, the thing that I want to see them continue to do is cast people so perfectly. Like, you know, because again, like again, even though I may not like the way that Captain Marvel was written or directed, I still feel that Brie Larson is the right choice for that character. I don't think anybody, you know, in terms of, like, the actual heroes that we see on screen, I don't think a single one of them has been miscast so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even no matter what people say about, you know, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, like, I think he was brilliant casting because he does exactly what he needs to do when he's on screen. Like, yeah. a, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron is not the best MCU film. I liked it. I really <laughs> li- <laughs> I, I liked Age of
1: Ultron because I don't think anyone else can play Ultron better than James Spader. Well, that's g- great casting again. Yeah, exactly. And like you're saying, I don't think they've casted anything wrong, and I think they've gotten these big names in this universe, and I'm very excited to see like who else they get. Like There's rumors of like this Eternals movie, and... Who they have casted Uh, for
0: certain? Angelina Jolie, supposedly. Millie Bobby Brown, like uh, Kamal. Kamal, uh, I forget his last name. I'm drawing a blank. But like, he was
1: uh, Gaston in uh, Beauty and the Beast. The guy who I don't know if that's
0: the same person. Different person, but but still, there's rumors of him in there. Yeah. So I mean, like, there's just like again, like they just cast people so so perfectly, and so you know, I just want to see them kind of continue to find these people that we almost don't expect that just work perfectly in these these universes. And I think it's at the point where these big name actors want
1: to be a part of this. Like, they see this very successful film world that Marvel has created and they think like, you know, I want to get into this. I want to be a part of this and Marvel is just like, absolutely like we're gonna take every best actor there is and stick him in all of our movies yeah I mean even in past movies like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and and like not MCU movies like spider-man into the spider-verse like you got
0: Nicolas Cage in there well it's like you got (laughs) Nicolas Cage you got Mahershala Ali who you know won an Academy Award I you know i personally feel like he should have won it for into the spider verse not yeah. green book but that's just me um you got brian Tyree henry was in that movie you know chris pine was in that film like uh i always forget that he was in that he movie. was in that yeah, yeah he was yeah. he was
1: the other spider man the other he
0: was the other peter parker like i mean oscar isaac you know from um you know from star wars uh yeah. he's in that film you know gets you know it's a post credit scene spoiler alert but like <laughs> he's in there you know and so it's like you know, whether whether it is, you know, I mean, it's all going to be MCU now. I mean, the other side, Spider-Verse, besides Spider-Verse. But I mean, even then, technically, you know, they reference things. They're from... referencing. They're going to reference things from the MCU. Sony and Marvel have a great working relationship. You know, even all right, Venom. Ven, we'll use Venom as an example. Venom is a non MCU film. Decisions were made. Is that a Sony film? It's a Sony film. And, and you know, while I might like the casting of Tom Hardy as as Eddie Brock, you know, I might like... Uh, that's pretty much <laughs> it. Like, you know, I, I, I would love to see Marvel just kind of get everything and everybody back. Because then we could kind of make sure... Because, like, you know their casting is so on point and it's just like where they fall it's not a fault it's not the fault of any of the actors it might be sure this story might have been written a little bit better or maybe this needed to be directed a little bit differently but it's never the actors
1: and i think that when they do cast these actors for these roles they see them as these heroes that in the comics they're different than what they're portraying in the movies mm-hmm. so they they tweak these these characters so that it really becomes who the actor is like Robert Downey Jr Chris Evans Chris Hemsworth all the chrises
0: you know all the chrises so yeah yeah that's that's good that's good i think we're going to we're going to leave this episode here uh but If you're listening to this on your, you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, immediately after this, we have a spoiler cast that should be coming out, Um, should be in your feed right after this one. So uh, make sure to tune in if you decide, hey, I haven't seen the movie yet. It's been sold out all weekend. It's still sold out. I'm two weeks away and it's somehow still sold out and I still haven't seen it or whatever. Definitely don't listen to the bonus episode that's going to come right after this one. Um, But if you don't listen, you know, Mike, do you want to give a sign off real quick? Um, If you want to find me on social media
1: on Instagram, I'm M underscore a Perez. That's pretty much it. I
0: don't really use Twitter. All right. And so, like I said, if you're going to if you're going to continue listening to the spoiler cast that comes afterwards, uh, you're going to hear a little bit from me. I'm going to do my sign off. I'm going to tell you where you can submit questions and everything like that. And thank you for listening to the newest episode of the podcast. Um, The first episode of the podcast. First episode of the podcast. Yes. I'm getting used to this. It's a new experience. Um, I'm so used to just kind of going and doing the whole thing. And this has been a new experience. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you in a little bit. So there it is. Episode one of stay watching is in the books. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I hope that you're going to tune in for the spoiler cast. So like I said, if you are on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to podcasts, it should be the very next episode in your feed. If you are listening in release order, um, It's going to be a pretty long one. We did not expect to have the length of conversation that we ended up having about Endgame. But, you know, hopefully for you, if you're somebody who just wants to hear other people's thoughts on the film or you know, really just wants to kind of get more into the conversation. We go pretty in depth. We talk about kind of some of the things that we saw throughout the movie that we really enjoyed. Um, some of the things that left us scratching our head and, and got a little bit further into what we think the implications are for the rest of the MCU going forward. So, I hope you tune into that. Uh, let me know your thoughts on that as well. If you have questions that you would like to submit for future episodes of this podcast, hit me up, Larry at LM2Photo.com. Uh, I have not set up any sort of social media directly for the podcast yet, depending on how things go and as it grows, if it grows, uh, I may be doing so. So if you want to hit me up on social media, I'm at Larry Tron pretty much everywhere on social media. I hope you really enjoyed this. I look forward to hearing your feedback and I'll see you on the next episode, fam. Peace.